How we love Jesus. Amen. You know what's really amazing is no matter how much we love Jesus, he, he loves us more than we could ever imagine. In spite of us, we say. You know, I'm going to say that a young boy and just uh, growing up in the church, it was easy to take so many things for granted. You know, the presence of God. How many people in this world don't understand or have never tasted the presence of God? I'm convinced that people will have an opportunity to experience the presence of God, that they will be changed. You know, for some it's instant, it happens, and they accept Jesus, and they're on the way. For others, it's a process of little steps, little steps. And somewhere along the line of Scripture says that when the seed took root in shallow soil, it sprung up quickly, but it was withered away under, under tribulation. But other seeds fell on good soil. And I want my, my, want my heart to be in good soil. So we have responsibility after we accept Christ. Now the work begins, responsibility to learn how to follow him, learn how to understand what his will is. He gives us a purpose. And one of the things that happens, and often I think for a young, a young believer, is why are all these bad things happening to me? I've accepted Christ. I thought everything was going to be just fun and, and, you know, and just, you know, everything works out okay. And one of the misconceptions, I think, of the church, and I think we, we work hard at trying to encourage people, now that you've accepted Christ, the enemy doesn't like that. And he's trying all that he can to, to take and steal away the seed that's been implanted in your heart. And so... When you read the letter of James, we started this little book here last week, and he jumps in right away, chapter uh, 1, verse 2. He, how can we consider it all joy? Well, I think I said some of the, something to the effect that he's looking past the trial and seeing the victory on the other side, just like Jesus looked past the cross, looked further into eternity, you can see you and I, being set free and saved because of the result of his, of his death and resurrection. And so we asked a question from 1 Peter 1.6 that if it's necessary, actually it reads this way, in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, and I like that phrase little while, because but when you're in a trial it doesn't seem like a little while. Right? It just, just goes on and on and on. And people that live with pain seems like a much, much to endure. But the brighter First Peter describes this and challenges us, though now for a little while, if necessary, and we asked the question last week, is it necessary that we should have trial? According to this verse, it may be necessary, 
that we have been distressed by various trials because our faith is being strengthened. And I, I really don't believe God just takes trials and dumps them on us. I believe because we live in a fallen world, we will have trials. You don't have to look for trials, right? How many had a few this week? Right? Nobody had any trials. <laughs> Two people, three people. How many have our trials today? Something, something, yeah, that's okay. You're human. You're not exempt. None of us are exempt from trial. And trials come in varieties of ways. Your trial is your trial. And I can't say I know how you feel unless I've been something in similar situation. And so the book of James encourages me to, hey, how am I responding? How should I respond in the trial. And you know, sometimes you don't know whether to cry or you don't know whether to laugh. Sometimes this world throws blind sides. We have blind sides. We didn't see it coming. But I believe with all my heart that if we will endeavor to turn it over to Jesus, trust him anyway, even though I may not see a way out. Even though as the Hebrew children said to the king that even if our God does not deliver us from the fiery furnace, we will not bow down. And that kind of, a, kind of character and determination helps us to maintain a level of strength realizing, you know what, they can, they can kill us. And we win. You can kill this body, but we win in Jesus' name. Because God has eternal home waiting for us. So we, we review, we're just reviewing chapter one a bit. And we're going to get down further into this chapter. What I would call uh, verses 13 through 15, I would call this the process of sin. Uh, here's how I see as scriptures teaches us. Let us read from verse 13, chapter 1 of James. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he, do, he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Did you see the process? When did it become sin? The, the, the first verse we read, I'm being tempted by God. Well, God cannot tempt us. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he's carried. Everyone has been tempted. Everyone t is tempted. Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. To understand the temptation is not the sin, only when we act upon the temptation. So let me illustrate, if I can, one of the great classics of all is right in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. And you're probably familiar with Adam and Eve and the story where they were placed in this garden and they were instructed never to eat of the tree of life or of tree of good, of, they would acknowledge of good and evil. 
They had all these other trees. They had all this other fruit available. But Scripture says that the woman saw, when the woman saw that it was good for her, desirable for her, she partook and now gave to her husband. Her husband, Adam, went along with it. So he is a part of the problem. And so the story goes, they saw, they wanted, and they acted. And there are things in this life where we'll be tempted, but it's in that mindset, what will I do with the temptation? Will I dwell on it? Will I act on it? That's where we get in trouble. So how many fishermen here we have this morning? Yeah. Two. Three, four, five. I'll come in more. Here you go. If you know what bait to use, if you know there's fish down there, and they have somewhat of a knowledge of what they like, what are you going to do with that? You're going to tempt them, right? You're going to place this bait probably on a hook or a, a, some kind of a lure. And what happens when the fish bites, he's the fish, let's just say this, when the fish was enticed by his own lust. When the fish gave in, not realizing the consequences of the sin. And it's here where I think that we need help in understanding what happens, what do we do when we're caught? What do we do as a, a believer when we mess up? We need to understand God doesn't want you to run away from him like Adam and Eve did in the garden. They were ashamed. That filled their heart. They were embarrassed. They could not see God. They, could, they didn't want to face God anymore. Shame will push us further away. But the scripture says if we will humble ourselves, admit our sin, he'll take it away as far as the east is from the west. That's the difference. That's, the, that's where our source is. Rather than running from God, we should run to God and allow him to take that sin out of our hearts. Now there may be consequences. There will be times that we are... Uh, we have to, you know, we reap what we've sown, so to speak. And it takes sometimes long periods of time to bring restoration. But God has always has it in his heart to restore that which has been broken. He has it in his heart to redeem that which is lost. I'm so glad. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I believe it works this way. And little by little, we can allow, we must watch over our hearts every day. Proverbs says, you know, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. It's our heart. It's like, you mean, had any garden experience? I'm sure you have. You get these little weeds starting to come in, right? What do you like to do? You like to yank them out of there. It's going to disturb the whole garden. And so sometimes you get 
some thoughts. You need to, you need to nip that in the thought stage. And with the help of God, you need to place that before uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You need to have accountability at times to believers that we would pray together and be accountable to one another. So God doesn't just beat us up and kick us out of heaven if we stumble and fall. That's not his intent. It's that he wants, he doesn't want us to remain in that dangerous zone. He wants to bring us back and bring us to that place where we know how. We know how to fight the good fight. You know what Paul said about the enemy? We are not ignorant of his schemes. The enemy is a schemer. Already thinking of ways. Who do you think's the target? We are. The believer. Satan wants to take you and I down, if you can. One of the ways he wants to take you is to get you to sin. Get you to mess up. And now he can get you to stop praying. He can get you to feel with shame. He can get you to fill with condemnation, if you can. And Paul writes to Romans, there's no more condemnation. You come, you humble yourself, you admit your sin. There is grace. There is healing. There is reconciliation. There is second chances. There are third chances. There are fourth chances. And on and on and goes. But we should not take it lightly that he forgives. We should not take that for granted either. That we should keep a genuine, sincere heart. And sometimes... We sin not even being aware of it, realizing God still chips away at us, searches our hearts. And so we get through this passage. And what is James saying? And what is he leading up to? He's leading up some of the practicalities of our, our spiritual lives. In other words, if we don't live it out, if we only know it in the mind or thought, if we don't exercise it by example, later on in James, he says, your faith without some kind of evidence is really dead. In other words, Jesus said, you'll know, as we were speaking to our false prophets, you'll know them by their fruits. You'll know them by how they live. You'll know them by what comes out of their lifestyle. And so we do not have to be deceived. So now we go on. The second point of this chapter, we'll call it the perfect gift. Have you ever received the perfect Have you ever tried to find the perfect gift for your loved one? And if you've been married 50 years, I haven't yet, but we'll get there, Lord willing. Try to find a perfect gift. You know what it comes down to? Just love each other. Just enjoying each other. Yet, I had a birthday wife this week. Yeah. Yeah, it's busy as always. But my, my chance came when she went to Target, okay? Now my chance came. I went down looking for that perfect card, you know, that perfect words. You know, if you're like me, guys, I have to really work it. You know, just what kind of words are you going to say here? I love you. Well, that's good. But why do you love her? You know? They want to know why. 
And what are the things you like about them, right? They want to, the, come on guys, you're with me? You know what I'm saying? You find something, this will work. You put others first. You're always putting others first. That, that's it, that's the one. So I underline these words and I say, I love you, X and O, and then put a gift card in there. Did pretty good, didn't I? Yeah? Pretty good. Every, every good thing bestowed on, and every perfect gift is from above. This is verse 17 of James 1. Coming down from the Father of light. He's referring to Christ. <clears throat> Listen. The Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. The Father of lights. In other words, the Father sends his Son to be the light of the world. And he lives it out. The missionary, if, if they're going to go to a foreign land, learn the language, learn the culture, and then they go live with them so that they can eat their food and begin to pick up on why they are, the, what they do, why they do the way things they do it. Jesus, being the greatest missionary of all time, comes down to our world, takes on form of humanity, lives in the weakness of a human body, yet maintains, yet overcomes sin, yet by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, he is able to walk and live, he's able to resist the devil by God's word and on and on it goes, he's the one who never changes, we serve a God who never changes, we serve a God who is who he says he is, in spite of of what the enemy will try to throw at us. You are on a firm foundation. Listen, not every one of us are on the same place as far as our growth, as far as our maturity, but as long as we're on the right road, we're going to make it. Don't get caught up like I did in Bible school. I compared myself to every speaker that came. Oh, if I could only be like that person. Oh, if I could only be. Then I'd be successful. Then I'd find it dawn on me. I can't be that people. I can't be anyone else but myself. And so you understand to accept yourself. If you're like me, I beat myself up. I'm my hardest. I'm hardest on myself. And I, I got to learn. It's not what I can do. It's what Jesus can do through you. And to say I'm never going to sin, I, that's in my heart. But humanity still fight with it. The flesh, we still struggle, but we can overcome. The good news is you don't have to bow down to sin. You don't have to give in. And so now continue on this perfect gift the Lord himself the Lord himself led the way was the example when it came to people accusing him people that were basically in the dark not understanding who he, who he was one of the one of the uh, stories of Jesus, uh, he held back from going to see his friends 
when Lazarus died, he intentionally held back. You would ask why. And the sister was grieved. She was weeping. She was saying, why, Lord, if you were only here? And sometimes in our trial, we think, why is this happening? Why now, God? But Jesus wept. Jesus listened. Jesus felt her pain. I think one of the things in the church that we need to work at, and we're working at this, is to feel each other's pain. To somehow connect with people that will not just bounce something, something will just bounce off us and we'll say something like, well, I'll pray for you. That's okay. That's a good thing. But I, I'm learning this. Listening is a skill. Absolutely. It takes effort to listen because the more you listen, the person that's expressing their feelings may want to. That's a process of their healing. It's just not, you, they're not even expecting you to have an answer. They're just wanting you to understand how they feel. Does that make sense? And so when you read these verses, this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. He's dealing with our emotions. Now, guys, if you're like me, you want to fix things. You have a problem? Let's fix it. Right? Uh, we can fix it. There's some things we can't fix. There's some things I cannot fix in the human heart. Most things I can't fix when it comes to spiritual things. But that's where God comes in. God can fix because he knows you just exactly who he has created. You just, he knows exactly who you are. And so when the trial comes, he said, I got your back. When the trial comes and the heat comes, you stay with it. You, you hang on to Jesus. You don't, you don't abandon the ship. You stay with the master. He's going to take you through it. He'll be slow to speak, slow to anger. There's this process. It's what we learn, this process of sin that the enemy wants to get us beat down so we begin to indulge. We begin to look. We begin to partake of that which you shouldn't partake of. We begin to understand that this only leads us to, I think I referred, maybe I didn't, to a spiritual death. By the way, there are two kinds of death. Physical death from sin, but there's a spiritual death which is separation from God. That is likened to this. We are not in good standing because of sin. We're spiritual, that we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. But God, being rich in his mercy because he loved us, he brought his son. Because God, even to understand that we have sin is the grace of God. To be able to feel conviction is the grace of God. In fact, feeling conviction is a good thing. It helps us to change. It helps us to want to move back to where we ought to. So little side note, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
Ever notice in Scripture, you know, slow to anger, slow to speak. What does that look like? Everyone has a breaking point. Did you know that Jesus got angry? Yeah. What got him upset was that with religious people were not living. They were not proving to be examples. They were not like the word says, verse 22, but prove yourself doers of the word. He had a problem. When they say you have to do this, you have to do that, and they themselves were hearts were far from God. It had become a list of rules of so much that it was just only all, all you only if you break one of these rules, you're you're out of here. Listen. This is how it works. If you allow God in your life, this is how it works. If you allow God in your life, you don't want to sin. When you allow God in your life, it begins to hurt you when you sin because you know it hurts God. And so now you want to you go back and admit your need. And see, the good news is this. He knows us he knows from the beginning to the end. And he sees you past all this. He sees you past the state you and I are in now. He sees you into the future. He sees you being made whole. He sees you with his righteousness, his perfection. And you become acceptable in the sight of God. And by his mercy and by his grace, you're able to stand perfect. Though we're not perfect, perfect in him, accepted in Christ. So lastly, prove to be doers of his word. This is one of the greatest verses of all. I've, I've, I've read this many times, and it always challenges me. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is when I go to work. This is where I go to school. This is when, I, when I'm talking with people. This is when I'm handling business. Proof to be doers of his word. You know what people need? You know what people need in our communities? Are people that do the word of God. That they're living by example. How many learn most by people that do You've learned more by watching people do. Or you, you were mentored by someone that showed you how to do it. They worked with you, hands-on. And so in the marketplace of our, of our faith, there's such an opportunity. Whatever your job is, think of it this way. That's just a place for me to have a position of opportunity that I actually may look at the work as an opportunity to sort of like live the light or light, let the light shine or sort of like be the seasoning, the salt of the earth. That you'll come, you know what's really fun? I think is that when you can have joy 
in spite of what's happened. You maintain this joy in spite of what's going on with the grace of God. You maintain your strength because your joy of the Lord is your strength. You maintain this, this thinking that even though this looks bad, by the grace of God, something good's going to come out of this. There's something that God is going to teach me through this trial. That I'm going to grow more through this trial than I would otherwise. If I only had mountaintop experiences, I could not understand people that are broken, people that are suffering, people that are angry, people that are trying to find answers. Show me how to live. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Paul said, follow basically similar. Do as I do. Do as I do. That's a high, high thing to say. That's where you're safe. And everything that you do, may we reflect the inner man, reflect the person who is of Jesus, that there are a set of priorities, there are set like into core values in our heart because Christ comes to open our eyes of who Jesus is. And so let me just come down the final stretch here. I wanted to bring a mirror up, and then I forgot about it. I'm trying to bring object lessons. But if you, how many use a mirror every morning? Yeah. You know what the scripture says? This is really, it almost, you know, opens our eyes. Verse 23, if you're only a hearer of the word of God, He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, and once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. Try that sometime. You've been looking in a mirror, and yeah, you're looking pretty good, but as soon as you go away, you, you forget what you look, you, you forgot what you, you is, that, is that true or not? Yeah. You just forget. You just, then you just be yourself. But see, the man who only hears the word only. Only just, you know, that's, that's just good, that's good, that's good, but then just kind of shuts it off. It only just, only, only turns God on when he needs him. That's not the way to live. He wants us, he wants us to take him with him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday on, on and on and on. You take the Lord with you. You should go really... The church is not this building. The church is you, Christ in you. And so when you students go to school, you bring Christ with you. You bring Christ in the classroom when you go to your workplace. How many ever tried this? Have you ever prayed over your, your workplace and maybe people that you're trying to, you know, trying to reach? Lift their names to Jesus. Lift their names to Jesus and say, God bless them. Open their hearts to you. I believe that we can be community changers. That we can be kingdom builders. We can, we can advance this kingdom. It's, 
It's what's happening outside the walls of the churches. That's what, that's what changes. It's got to happen outside of our, our meetings. It's when you have a word of encouragement. Someone who's struggling just to get through life. I want to encourage you. Keep up the good work. Soak in so that you can be a sponge. Carolyn Tennant, our friend from college way back, likened us to being sponges so that we're so soaked with God that somebody bumps into us, they're going to get something. <laughs> Isn't that something? Think about that. We'll spill out. One quick story. While I was in college, I was working with a family, a masonry, masonry business family. They had just lost, I didn't know this when I, when I asked them. Here's how I got the job. I, I said, Lord, who should I call? And I just called this guy. And they said, no. And I called this guy, and they said, yeah, maybe so-and-so. That's how I got this job. And lo and behold, their, their, their son, who was in his 20s, had just just drowned, just drowned several weeks prior to me coming along. He was on a fishing trip in Canada, and somehow uh, I think alcohol was involved, and the boat went over. He helped his friends get them in the shore, but he, he went down. And so there, there's, a, there's a hurting unit. It's a hurting family. And so I was, I come in, they're all asking questions. Why are you doing this? Why are you working? You're going to, you're going to Bible school? And they'd, they'd harass me. Do you eat meat? You know, it, you, know you just kind of let that roll. You don't let that bother you. Here's what one of the guys said. I always like it when you come to the job. You always seem to bring a sense of peace. I knew that with Jesus. They were hurting. So one by one, I was getting opportunities to talk to them, listen to them. He invited, he invited us to their Christmas party. They were serving their alcohol. They were doing their thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were doing their thing. And the big D, the boss, you know I play guitar. He said, bring your guitar. He starts singing some old country western song. I just chimed right in. Because I saw past, I could see past the need. The last thing I need to do is jump on them and condemn them for how they're living. I need to love on them. I didn't participate with alcohol, of course not. I just lived there. I just showed up. The beautiful thing, because it led to more opportunity. One by one, God started to give me an opportunity to have this time of prayer. And I was able to pray with these guys. See, alone. They would never admit together as a family. But you get them alone. See, your, your workplace is more than a paycheck. It is. I think the scriptures prove this. You're there to touch someone else's life and help them gain some skills. 
get some tools in their tool, but maybe they're not there yet. And listen, if we can move them one step closer on the scale, we're making progress. So be encouraged. You may not be the one who brings them to the salvation prayer. You may be the one who planted or watered and encouraged and saw pass. Can we believe that? We're going to sing a simple chorus, and this is our benediction song. Um, Lord, I need you. It's really become a, a favorite of mine because it, I need him every day, every moment. And so uh, please stand, if you will, give you time to stretch. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here. Fine.